1: you don't have to have it all together.
0: Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover the tools to build a marriage and family that you love. My name is Daniel Lim,
1: and I'm Christina M.
0: Well, today we have the great honor of interviewing Ruth Joe Simons. Did I get there? I don't I know. <laughs>
1: Don't worry, she'll say her own name (laughs) during the interview, and we'll all go, "Mm, yeah, that was right. (laughs) Well, y'all, this was such an incredible discussion. As you'll hear in the interview, we jump right into why we need to stop pretending we have it all together. Can I hear an amen? Mm -hmm. Ruth talks about the gospel of self-improvement and why we need to replace it with the gospel of life-transforming grace.
0: Yeah, we talk about growing up in a shame-based household, as we all grew up in first-generation Asian families, and how she learned not to carry on the same way of parenting into her own family.
1: Which was so good for me to hear as well, Mm because we've been really trying and working on it on ourselves to hear from another person's perspective was awesome. We also talk about what it means to be a third culture kid and striving for approval, we literally could have talked to her for hours on end as we feel like we're just scratching the surface of what it means and how it feels to be an Asian North American during this time.
0: So before we get into the interview, just wanted to walk through just a quick bio of hers. Ruth is a Wall Street Journal best-selling and award-winning author of several books. Her latest one is When Striving Sees. She is an artist, entrepreneur, and speaker using each of these platforms to spiritually sow the word of God into people's hearts. Through her online shop at gracelaced.com and her social media community, Simons shares her journey of God's grace intersecting daily life with word and art. Ruth and her husband, Troy, are grateful parents to six boys, their greatest adventure.
1: Mm, You heard that right. Six boys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, for all the show notes, be sure to go to inbetween.org slash episode 147, where you'll find links to Ruth's book, ways you can follow her on social media, and a perfect way to share this episode with a friend or family member. Also, make sure to stay tuned until the end as we talk about today's tool to build a marriage that you love. Let's jump in. Ruth Simons, thank you so much for joining us on the In Between podcast. We're so glad to have you here. I
2: love being here. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, so we're going to get vulnerable right away. I did not say your middle name. I'll say that, but it's actually yeah. your uh, maiden name because, yes, I am Asian. And yes, my family is from Taiwan to, well, my dad is. Uh, they did not teach me how to speak Mandarin or yeah. Cantonese or any other yeah. dialect. And so I was actually talking to my mom on Saturday, and there was a little bit of me that was like, you know, I should ask her how to pronounce Ruth's name because I want to be able to say it perfectly and then I'll she would say it and then I would I would she would correct me and like all of that like this is what I wanted to do. And then I was like, "Wait. Wait, 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 wait." Your book is talking about ceasing to strive, and so I was like, "I'm not going to do that. I am going to face the possibility of looking like I don't know everything." <laughs> and oh ask gosh. you, how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> it's Ruth Joe
2: Simons. Because in Chinese, my name is Joe Yiro, and so your your, your surname is first, and so right. um, Joe is my family name and uh, my main. My, my, and my maiden name, and, um, and now I use it for my middle name in English. And so, in a, in a time in the 80s when everybody said Ruth Chow, um, I just kind of stuck to my guns because I was a Mandarin speaker. So I was like, well, wow, it's Ruth Joe. And now um, it's nobody could possibly know that unless you really Google Chinese pronunciation of C H O U. How would you know that? Right. And so, in the same way that, how would we know just to uh, pronounce J U A N one? Right. You wouldn't right. know that unless yeah. you were familiar with yeah, the that's right. the f- phonetics and pronunciation of any particular um ethnicity and background. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So do you do you take the time to correct people if they say like, oh, it's Ruth Chow Simmons or Oh know, yeah. This-
2: Ch- Chow yeah. Simmons happens online a lot. Okay. And um, I don't I don't like DM people back or my <laughs> Instagram stories. I'm not like, wait, hey, by the way, like I don't do that. But definitely in conversation, you know, because I'm also a homeschooling mama, I mean not full time, but you know Long I when you only have one um, consonant. So I mean I kind of care about that. That's so awesome. on the Chinese end, it's not Simmons, people, when there's only one M, it's a long I. So like I care about those things. So I don't usually go into all that, but yes, definitely. I mean, I don't expect anyone to know. And is it a is it a crossed bear? It's a little bit. I mean, I I, I probably could have more easily just used Ruth Simons as my author name. But you know, I just really wanted anyone to pick up my book and be faced with, like, where is that name from? Like, yeah. where is you uh-huh. from? Because um, this is the first time I'm publishing a book with my face on the cover. And so you wouldn't nice. know that I'm Asian. And so you wouldn't know that that is the underlying context of my whole story. And so it just, now I'm really proud of it, although yeah. it's. It's a fight, right? Because I go around being called, actually, I, I get called Grace Chow Simmons a lot because of being the founder <gasps> oh, of Grace Laced. That's and so it's, it's really funny. It yeah. keeps me yeah. humble. It's all good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what the? And I guess discernment too. Like, is this the time to correct a person? Yeah. Maybe not. Okay, we're moving yeah, on. We're like, no, we're going to take this time to do this. So yeah. I love how you're talking about your face on the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll link it to our, our podcast show notes as well. But it was actually sitting on our, uh, office table mm-hmm. and my son who's seven years old, he walked by it quickly and he's like, wait, mom, is that you? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, exactly. Because honestly, there's not that many Christian authors yeah, yeah. that are female, especially yeah. uh, with their face on it. So right. even that little, maybe it seems like a little, um, like it was something, a side note, but I do really see that that's important mm. as well.
2: Thanks.
1: I love that. So speaking about your book, there is, we usually ask uh, our podcast guests to introduce themselves in the way they would would like to. We're actually, I'm going to ask you a favor, if you don't mind. There is um, a little part in the back of your book, When Striving Sees, that you penned Mm -hmm. during, maybe you can talk about a little bit more, um, that you penned during, I think it was like a writing conference or whatnot. Maybe you can tell the background of that and then you can read that passage for us.
2: Yeah. So the passage you're talking about is, um, I had this incredible opportunity to co-write songs with a bunch of musicians in Nashville. Some you probably know, like Ellie Holcomb and, mm-hmm. um, Amy Grant and Jenny Owens. And, um, yeah, it was just so many talented songwriters and other authors. And we warmed up by doing a writing exercise. And one of the, we were given 15 minutes and the prompt was, I am from and. We were given 15 minutes, no time to think about it. And do you want me to go ahead and read it? Oh, we'd love to. Yeah, please. So in 15 minutes of kind of going, what am I going to say? And how do I do this? And I'm going to read it out loud in front of my peers. I just got vulnerable and tried to be as honest as possible. And this is what I wrote unedited. You know, this is stream of consciousness here. But I am from minced garlic and scallions fried up in oil where everything good begins. I am yeah, from a homeland. Yeah. <laughs> Agree, right? I yes. am from a homeland I can't see in my mind's eye. I am from secrets and expectations in the right way to never let anyone down. I am from crescent dumplings and long noodles. Long life, right? But why? Mm. I am from downplayed individualism where boys are treasured over girls with something to prove. I am from prosperity, dreams, guilt, and fear. I am from Chinese ink. And perfectly held brushes. I am from conform and don't make waves. I am from the boat that crossed the ocean, the great divide, from lost to found, from treading and staying afloat to clinging to a lifeline. I am from the little red envelope you don't deserve to the name in the book in permanent (sighs) ink.
1: when I first read that podcast family, I, I literally cried and, um, Aww. I'm, I'm still tearing up now because mm-hmm. I think it's so beautiful. And also, um, I don't know, Ruth, if you, if you re- if you wrote that and, um, felt pain as mm-hmm. well. Is there a mixture?
2: Of I, I definitely teared up and cried through reading it aloud. It's hard yeah. to take everything that, um, I'm turning 46 next week and it's really 40 some years of, kind of conflicted feelings about who I am and where I'm from and Mm -hmm. what really is it that's defined my life. And, um, you know, I know as you're listening, listeners, you're not seeing it in front of you. And hopefully if you end up with a copy of the book in your hand, you could actually walk through it. But I really walk through what I immediately think is where I'm physically from, right? The land Mm -hmm. that's, that's full of delicious, Hot stickers, and, and like all of this <laughs> that defines my upbringing and the way I felt. But the truth is, in the same way that I was born in Taiwan and immigrated to the U.S. when I was four, and I crossed the ocean, God also rescued me and transferred me from the place where I thought I was from to a new place of citizenship. And so that last line of little red envelope all my life represented am I worthy? Am I worthy? I'm going to go mm. receive this gift from an elder or somebody and going, ooh, do I, do I, do, am I doing it right? Am I worthy? Am I receiving it right? For any of you who might be Asian as you listen in, <laughs> you know what a red envelope signifies. It signifies something that you kind of can't tell if you're really great, you should be really grateful for, or you should be really mm-hmm. guilty about like, ooh, like, oh gosh, what am I supposed to do in return of getting <laughs> right. this, this gift? And it feels extravagant. And then in Asian culture, a lot of times you end up feeling like you have to earn it or mm-hmm. pay it back or in some way show that you're worthy. Right. And in the gospel is that we have been given this incredible gift of grace. That's that's Jesus' big time red envelope to us. And we mm. do nothing to deserve it. And so instead of a little red envelope, the last line is, I'm from the little red envelope you don't deserve which is my past to the name in the book of life in permanent ink. Like nothing can take that away from me. And so I think all the imagery for me, and I mean, I I worked real hard not to edit that because it really was what I wrote in 15 minutes, but it's just a little window into what comes immediately to mind all the guilt and the angst and Oh, the expectations of what my cultural background would define me as to Okay, it's okay to ask some questions and to turn your cultural or your family background upside down and Mm -hmm. say, that does not define me. My identity in Christ is ultimately what defines me within this context of all these things that he's allowed into my life for growth for learning for richness for joy those are all beautiful things but they don't ultimately define me like yeah. my name written in ink in the book of life
0: right on right on preach it sister <laughs>
2: <Exactly>. <laughs>
0: that is fantastic uh, well, Ruth, uh, yeah, we are so we are so honored and grateful to be having this conversation with you. Uh, and you know what? It's it's really a conversation we get to have, and our podcast family gets to listen in. Um, <laughs> but uh, your book, "When Striving Sees: Replacing the Gospel of Self Improvement with the Gospel of Life Transforming Grace," um, we we have it here, and we'd love for you just to take a few moments to to tell us how the book came about. Uh, And why you feel the need to, uh, why you feel people need to hear this message right now.
2: Yeah, thank you. You know, um, some people may know me as the founder of gracelaced.com. I'm an artist and an author. And uh, for years, I've been sharing um, more like devotional writing, both on social media and in book form, encouraging others that, God's grace intersects our daily life. And that seems like a wonderful and beautiful thing for us to all work through. But I've never really told the story of how grace, not just the feel good on the mug, you know, pretty word grace, but <laughs> what grace actually is, the gift of God, how that became the cornerstone of my ministry, of my life, mm-hmm. how that pulled me from the place of, I'm so anxious, I, I you know, I, I, I'm going to worry myself into perfection to, oh, who am I truly? Ab- between two worlds, my Eastern Mm -hmm. world, my Western world, between Mm -hmm. two worlds, how do I have a new identity? And grace is the cornerstone of that whole conversation. And I've never really gotten to tell that story. And so finally um, in this new book is an opportunity for me to really lay out for what I hope to be this generation. And of course I really have my sisters in Christ in mind. I hope some dudes, I hope some brothers. read. (laughs) But, but you know, of course I'm writing it for my sisters who I just think, you know, I look around and I'm sure it's this way in Canada too, but you know, women have more opportunities than they've ever had. I mean, women are like starting podcasts, starting nonprofits, running businesses. They are side hustling like you wouldn't believe. Some women have like multiple side hustles while they're raising their kids and remodeling their homes and doing all those things. And quite frankly, I'm a 45, almost 46 year old woman who I'm doing a lot of those things too, so I'm being honest that we have more opportunities than ever. I became published by faithfully writing on the internet. Like, I mean, that's that's an opportunity that women did not have 20 years ago, right? Yeah. But with more opportunities than ever, and I'm speaking specifically towards um, to the evangelical world. Like, Christian women have more opportunities than ever. So, why do we walk around acting like we're never enough? We're exhausted. We're we're struggling to measure up. We're still comparing. We're wondering do I have what it takes for what God's called me to? Is my shit passing me by? And if I'm honest, even in Christian publishing, you walk down the aisle of any bookstore, and primarily what's being written is not the character of God and our identity in Christ, it's primarily self help and how to strive more, how to Mm. do it better. Faster. What's the latest formula to achieve your goals? Mm. Now, honestly, guys, I I don't have a beef against um, tools and resources and podcasts that help you achieve your goals. I'm a businesswoman. I have no problem with tools that help you do things better. But mm-hmm. I do have a problem with God's people forgetting that we weren't meant to be changed and tweaked just by new formulas when the gift of God is really grace that Ephesians two says is not by your good works. Like you can't boast in anything that you've done. Jesus literally came and did it all so that we might surrender and say, I got nothing. So Mm -hmm. think of how hard it is for, I mean, you don't have to be from an Asian American background to know that we're all kind of measuring our likes, measuring our downloads, wondering if we're getting our work out there, wondering if anybody cares or notices whether we belong. I mean, Through my book, you'll obviously see my own story of all the layers of how I don't feel like I belong or haven't in the past. Mm -hmm. But we all feel that, whether you're from a similar background to mine or not. And my desire is that in this generation, we might fall in love with the truth, like a biblical perspective of Mm -hmm. what the grace of God truly is, so that we might not sit around and go as believers, hey, it's so great. Like God's grace saved me um, from... Like I'm not going to he- hell, I'm going to heaven because of grace. But then we run to all these other resources. That God's grace <laughs> exactly. isn't, yeah. Yeah. It's not enough to mm. sustain us for our everyday. So I'm okay. trying to break that myth and to ultimately mm. help us to really recognize what's so amazing about grace.
1: Mm. We see it,
2: but we don't yeah. really understand it.
1: Yeah, very, very true. I see it in my own life too. I'm wondering, Ruth, if you can tell us, we always like the nitty gritty. So yeah. walk us through, I'm going to walk us through maybe two instances where I do see there's a lot of quote-unquote self-improvement or whatnot Mm -hmm. um, and how we can replace that with God's truth. Maybe you can even talk about it in your own life. When our kids are just a mess (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right, whatever that means. If that means in a toddler, they're just having a, a huge meltdown moment, and um, or maybe a, a teenager just made a really wrong choice. Right. And right. as a mom, we are feeling all the shame of not being enough, and maybe we're just looking to books to be like, how can I, how can I help my toddler? Uh, you know, uh, to different tools about how to express their emotions. I'm not saying these are things that are are bad, but how can we? In the moments where we don't feel enough and we're just trying to find these all these self-help right, right. tools, um, how does grace yeah. belong in that or can speak to those feelings?
2: Well, I, I think, you know, I'm a mama to six boys. Uh, my <laughs> yeah. oldest is 19 and my youngest is eight. So motherhood stories always are at the forefront of my mind. And since we have a limited amount of time, I won't go into the most nitty gritty versions, but I'll give a good, good example. One time when um, I had... I think four under eight or whatever, you know, Um, we were at, we used to go to the library really often because we lived right around the corner from a library. And of course, you know, libraries are just like really quiet and you bring all these kiddos in and they might even stay quiet to read books or play with the board games or whatever. But at some point there could be a fuss and a meltdown. And I'm always like, okay, I'm going to be the mom that doesn't cause other people to be like, Oh, why is she here? (laughs) Of course, this one time, um, I think maybe they were poking each other in the line at checkout. Maybe, I don't know what was going on. I can't remember. This was years ago. But um, we had a scream fest. I mean, we're we're talking like shrieking, (laughs) horrible screaming. And everything in me wanted to kind of be, um, I don't know if it's good to say this, typical like a mom reaction where you're like wanting to like yank that child's arm and like just be like you're gonna hurt for this you know like you want to do that and everything wait till we get to the minivan well well, everything I in me wanted to say you're such an embarrassment I am so embarrassed you make me look Mm -hmm. like a fool I mean now everybody's looking at me like I'm a terrible mom because that's really what you feel right you feel Mm -hmm. those things you think I am so ashamed like oh my goodness now you know, everybody thinks that I'm a terrible mom and I have no control of my kids. And, and you just want to blame your kids for you not having the best version of yourself. And as we walked outside and I did not yank them, I, you know, because I was like, okay, you know, this has been a long journey for me, but I realized I knew in this moment, I'm either going to put on display that the way to please others is to be perfect or I can put on display that we all have a sinful tendency and we all mm, will screw up. And right. right now, everything in me wants you to make me feel good about me. But the truth is we're all in progress. And so as we walked outside, the conversation that ensued, because what I really wanted to say was um, do better, like be, be more amazing. Mm. Stop making me feel ashamed of um, myself or you. And- I'm super embarrassed, but communicating that would only bring about change in them out of fear or guilt or thinking that they're not going to have my love if they don't do a perfect job. Has that ever worked out for you guys? Like, Have you ever found Mm -hmm. that you want to read your Bible more or do better or walk in holiness because you feel like you're never going to have love from God if you don't do those things? That's never been an effective motivator. What really motivates? What truly motivates is when you realize you are forgiven, you are known and loved, and that there is grace for Mm. growth. And so in that moment, I told them the story of how, I struggle with self control. I struggle with not being able to shut it down when I want something my way. And obviously, I said, "Hey guys, we're going to work on this because that's not a good that's not a good way to be at the library." And how does it feel to be kicked out of library? Because we were actually kicked out, by the way. I I didn't I didn't put that part in. Like the library actually kicked us out. Like they actually came over and said. You need to leave and take oh. your children with you. So so yes, did I feel elder humiliation? Did I literally feel every part of my like saving face, shamed face, yeah. Dillian moment? Yes, I experienced all the Chinese horror of like <laughs> being called out in public, right? So right. yes, I did experience all that. But that was a moment for me to remember that as a parent, more is caught than taught sometimes. Mm-hmm. More is received by how I put on display what is truly important. I can say all day long, the grace of God. I can quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, you've been saved by grace through faith. This is not your work, so no one can boast. I can say that all day long, but until I say, hey, there's nothing in you or me, that's so incredible. We just always suppress the what we are trying to do to make ourselves happy, and you let it out. You You were trying to just Get what you want in that moment. And Mama struggles that with that all the time. And you know yeah, what the remedy yeah, is? Yeah, the remedy yeah. is that Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. So yeah, you can zip it up and be real quiet. And let's work on that. But really, what the true change is gonna happen is only gonna happen when your heart leans on God instead of getting your way in the moment. Like yeah, that's, that's a really difficult bit. lesson. And it'd be easier just to say shut it down and never scream again. Yeah. But yeah. Will that really work? Probably not. So that's yeah. something that comes up all the time for me as a parent. Mm. I still have an eight-year-old. I still have an eight-year-old and 10-year-old that fight regularly. Like we, we have to implement that pretty regularly.
0: The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books, available wherever books are sold. Hmm, hmm. Yeah. there's you were demonstrating so much self-awareness even in sharing that story and talking about oh yeah this is what was going through my mind and this is what I really wanted to do but if I did this <laughs> yeah. then this and yeah. and you know there's there's such uh self-awareness in and around that um so we'd love for you just to help our podcast family uh understand a little bit more um you know how you got to that point you know in a sense if we were to zoom in uh we'd love for you just to to talk about the gospel of self-improvement uh that seems to be so rampant in our culture uh and what what does that teach us and and how does that conflict with what the gospel tells us
2: yeah let me let me try and like just really concentrate this and condense this down in a way where um the listeners can just get this in a nugget. But mm-hmm. when we are biblically illiterate, and I'm not talking about you need to go to seminary and like spend hours and hours and hours, and hours in your Bible, but this generation, we are all kind of um, victims of going to Instagram, reading one quick little thing, or opening our Bibles and being like, this first will change my day. That mentality is one where we're actually using even God's word. I mean, I'm not talking about even like going to secular self-help. Even God's word can be treated as self-help sometimes Mm -hmm. because we don't want the whole story of redemption. We're just like, hey, today you're for me. Okay, good. Well, God is for you, but why? Okay, so the gospel of self-improvement, whether you're talking based on something evangelical and churchy or way out there in the world, this gospel of self-improvement basically means I'm going to take anything and any piece of information. And I'm going to make it about something I can use in my lone life. And I'm going to implement it. And I'm going to wield it in a way that makes my life better for me. Because Mm -hmm. I don't trust that anyone else has my back or is going to do anything better than me. So I'm going to anxiously toil and turn and manipulate my circumstances and even manipulate myself so that I will be loved wanted, seen, known, I will belong. I will have worth. Yeah. Those are the things that we're looking for, but self-improvement is gaining it and trying to get that ourselves. Well, the gospel and what's different is you see all of Jesus's teaching. I remember, um, I talk about this in the book, but one of the key moments in my life was really in college when I was sitting in a, just a regular collegiate Christian ministry luncheon. And, um, the collegiate minister was teaching out of Matthew five. And it was the part where Jesus was basically speaking to the Pharisees and saying, well, you say that, um, you don't lust after, I mean that you don't, um, uh, that you don't covet another man's wife. Like, you know, you're not adulterous, but I'm telling you, if you even lust, if you even look at a woman that you, in, in inappropriately, you've really committed adultery in your heart or, the whole murder and hate thing, right? Mm -hmm. And all of us are reading that going, what? Like, if I just even hate or like speak unkindly about somebody, I'm like, you know, murdering. And Jesus' whole point was you keep thinking that you can jump high enough, that you can do well enough. And Jesus is saying, you can't, you literally can't Mm -hmm. be holy enough to improve your life. Mm. Literally, the reason why Jesus came was to say, you can't fulfill the law. You can't be holy enough to be in God's presence without blemish. So I'm going to come and do that. I'm going to come and take the penalty that was for you. So when I start speaking about the gospel, and I hope it's not the three of us, but I I, I do say that I've, I will say I've, I've been known to do this. I glaze over a little bit because you're like, oh, we're hitting VBS stories now. We're going (laughs) into Sunday school. This is Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin. Yeah, we all kind of glaze over and we just go, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 I've known that before. And what I'm here to say is, I think the reason why we keep turning to self-improvement or we're kind of content to just take some quick little self-help line and apply it in some meme and apply it to ourselves and go, now mm-hmm. I can, I've got the fuel for today. I think the reason why we keep doing that is we don't really know and understand God's whole redemptive, redemptive story. The fact that yeah. even from the beginning, God provided for Abraham, right? God said, sacrifice your son and provided the actual sacrifice. Like Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, God's like, you don't have what it takes. You can't make yourself good enough. So I'm going to come and do the work for you. And so my, my, my journey has been one where... All the, all the expectation to improve and perform and be amazing on my Asian side, as well as my Western culture <laughs> belong by being this way and look this way and act this way. That combined gave me an impossible, an impossible standard that when I came to understand the gospel, I was like, yeah, God has an impossible standard as well. Right. And so when you realize that God loves us so much that he made it possible for us to meet that standard, Without being Uh improved on our own at all, that's when you start start realizing why grace is amazing and why we have been saved by grace.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, Ruth, um, we have lots of podcast listeners, even in Asia. And so they're probably listening to this and hearing, and I know even for myself, there's a little bit of this inner struggle, right? Because I did grow up in a, I mean, my parents listen to this uh, podcast as well. I love y'all. You're amazing (laughs) parents. Did grow up in a shame-based achievement, family culture in that way. And, And understanding how God's grace can cover all in the heated moments of parenting especially Mm -hmm. i find myself going back and forth that tension of like i want you to like i like you were saying in your story like i feel so much shame and also wanting to bring in the gospel so at what point were you able to maybe learn and maybe shift away from this shame-based achievement Uh, culture and philosophy and even headspace towards showing your children God's grace? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, I think it was really a marriage between seeing what didn't work in my own life Mm -hmm. and seeing what God's prescription is in the gospel. So for example, um, I tell the story of how my parents were baby believers when I was young. So a lot of what I share in the book are things that they were working through themselves as Mm -hmm. people who didn't know how to really live in To their redemption yet. You know, they were like, or there were stories from before they were believers, you know? Um, But I remember as a young believer, my mom would often equate having a bad day. Like if I had a bad day, she would Mm -hmm. often equate that with not having a quiet time. So Mm -hmm. for example, like, and it was, she was probably saying it out of love, like Mm -hmm. really wanting me to have a great day, right? But when you say, Oh, you had a bad day? Well, did you have your quiet time this morning? Because if you have your quiet time, you wouldn't have a day like that. Well, mm-hmm. that is really using and shaming into mm-hmm. having time with the Lord and more of a cause and effect, almost like a um, "I put in this much and God will give me this much relationship. Mm-hmm. But that's not the gospel. And mm-hmm. so then you have to test it out. Now, would I know that that's wrong? Would I know that that's not quite accurate? That's not really my relationship with God. Would I know that that's not what God intended if I hadn't ever gone to the word? So for mm-hmm. anyone who's listening, I'm just saying, if you don't actually test out your cultural context or your your worldview, if you don't test that against God's word, you won't know what's missing. I'm not saying my entire cultural worldview is wrong. I'm saying certain things like the idea that we might Cause our children to choose the right thing by making them feel bad about what they're choosing.
1: Right.
2: That's not what God did. What God has shown over and over is his children keep choosing the wrong thing and he keeps pursuing them with love and graciousness and generosity. He wins them over. Romans even says, God's kindness leads us to repentance right? Our repentance came out of God lavishing on us and saying, you got nothing and you literally are incapable of choosing, right? Like the Israelites over and over again, even when God provided, they'd like, I'd rather choose a golden calf. I'd rather (laughs) choose my own way, right? Over and over again. And so that is the picture of grace. And so when I started seeing that my parent, my mom, especially when she said something like that as a very, very young believer, she didn't understand fully and she was just applying what she knew in her whole life. Right. But when she did that, it wasn't effective for me. It made me actually want to stop reading my Bible and get further away from God because fear and guilt was, has never been a good motivator. It has mm-hmm. never been a good motivator because as a mom, I really want to yell at my kids first thing in the morning and be like, did you do your 30 minutes of client time? Of course I want to do that. <laughs> but that's never been a motivator for genuine change in their lives. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: that's so good. Well, You know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time together. And, and once again, podcast family, I just want to uh, give you a sense as to what's inside of this book. Um, the, there's two sections, when striving isn't enough. And then the second part is when grace changes everything. So everything that Ruth has been talking about, I mean, if you want to zoom in on that, um, really, as your next step, we would encourage you to pick up a copy of this book. Uh, But you know what? The the three of us, we're all Asian here. And uh, you were born in Taiwan and came early on. Christina was born in uh, Toronto and I was born in Vancouver. It's own country. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Um, And it's interesting because uh, in your book, you talk a lot about your life outside of your home versus life inside of your home growing up. And the tension that that created, right? Some know that to be uh, this phrase third culture kids. Mm-hmm. So, so for specifically our listeners who are either raising children in third cultures or are third culture kids themselves, mm-hmm. is there anything specific that you would want to address about striving for approval?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the reality is the metrics for approval keep changing. Um, Mm -hmm. even as Asian American families, um, parents do change as they Mm -hmm. are westernized and sometimes they don't, you know, I mean, some of us saw crazy rich Asians and sometimes there's not a lot of change there, but sometimes (laughs) there's there's major change. (laughs) But regardless of what your home context is like, the reality is if we base our approval on either cultural expectations or our community expectations or what we're seeing on the internet or how to get into Stanford or whatever it is that yes. your your metric is, those things will keep on changing because the world is very relative. The world is going to be relative about what it is that really identifies you as being worthy and right and good, but God's word doesn't change. And so if you are raising third world, third, I mean, third culture um, children, or if you are living in the context of going, oh my goodness, I don't know how to process my childhood, My adult Mm -hmm. life, all these things. My biggest encouragement would be that my greatest change happened when I realized that I was made to be a citizen of heaven. Like the Mm -hmm. number one thing, it's like it doesn't even matter if I'm living in the US or if I choose to live in another country or what I do. At the end of the day, I was made to have my home with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so when we raise our kids to recognize we will serve the country that we're a citizen of, we will be a part of the community. But what really defines us, regardless of what you look like, what you eat at home, what your parents came with baggage-wise, you Mm -hmm. get to realign your life with the truth of what God says about who you are. So Mm -hmm. that's not me saying this is not a big Band-Aid over all the wounds and the hurts that some of our listeners might be feeling right now. Some of Mm -hmm. us may have experienced actual trauma from being raised by a um, unreasonable mm-hmm. Asian parent, maybe, or feeling like they never can meet expectations and they'll never be good enough. They married the wrong person they they haven't parented the right way. I'm not trying to put a bandaid on it. I'm simply saying, as you work through some of those things in real time, if you are in Christ, turn your attention to what Jesus says about who you are because of grace and because of yeah. Jesus, and know that in heaven and once you've meet Christ face to face. It's not going to be Jew or Gentile. It's not going to be Taiwanese born, Vancouver born, or Alberta, you know, wherever. It's not going to be about that. It's going to be, is your home with Christ? And if you are at home with Christ now you will be forever in his presence, even when we mm. finally see him face to face. Let that be an encouragement to oh, all of us so who feel yeah. stuck and tense and maybe like having a hard time to like psychologically process some of the <laughs> wounds and the hurts and the tensions right. of how to do this. I'd say the biggest change in my life happened when I took the first several chapters of Colossians and Ephesians to heart mm-hmm. and realized, oh my goodness, this is who Jesus is and yeah. this is who I am because of him and therefore I can now walk in a manner worthy as we read in Colossians 4 you know
1: mm. Mm, I love that thank you so much Ruth for sharing that as you're yeah. as you're speaking the words that are formulating in my mind are you know God is not a shame based parent mm-hmm. he is not a shame based father he is a yeah. grace filled and loving father yes. and welcome home like yes. welcome home for he those, strong exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that is just such a beautiful picture. Thank you so much, Ruth. We're coming to the the end of our podcast, but we really do want to encourage our podcast family to pick up your latest book, When Striving Sees. Uh, where can our podcast family find more about you? As well? I'd be so
2: honored if you connect with me on Instagram at Ruth Joe Simons, and that is R U T H C H O U S I M O N S. And my artwork, for anyone who would be interested in my artwork and lifestyle products, that's through my company, gracelaced.com. And you can find us on social media as well. I'd be so honored to um, just share more with you
1: there and um, through these books. Thank you so much for joining us, Ruth.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: about the fact they got kicked out of that library <laughs> <laughs> yes. okay yeah. so we also almost got kicked out of a library yeah, yeah. and so i was like girl you're reading my mail here <laughs> <laughs> well if you are wanting to find out more about ruth or grab any of the links that she has make sure to go to our show notes at inbetween.org episode 147
0: all right so it's time for today's tool asking open-ended questions
1: Exactly. Well, asking open-ended questions is a wonderful way to update your love maps with one another. If you've never heard what a love map is, it's a phrase coined by Dr. Gottman to refer to our inner worlds. When you choose to spend your life with someone, you hand them a map to your inner world. Your inner world is, of course, quite complex, including the memories of your past, the details of your present, your hopes for the future. It also includes your deepest fears and your wonderful, grandest dreams. But when you hand that map over to your partner and to your spouse, it's actually a pencil sketch.
0: So the task for couples is to intentionally be adding details to that map right? When you think about a map, every map needs a scale, direction, and a legend, right? So that you know how to read it. And over the course of a lifetime, you will be constantly adding to your map. Uh, You're not done. You're never done, right? A detailed love map brings perspective to the twists and turns that will enter a marriage.
1: So we wanted to leave you with some open-ended questions based on this week's episode to ask your spouse. And don't worry, if you don't have a pen or pencil handy, we will have them in our show notes. So number one, do you remember a time as a child that you felt like you didn't belong?
0: Hmm. Number two, in what areas of your life do you feel like you're not enough?
1: Number three, in what areas of your life do you want to see God's life transforming grace? And after you take some time to answer these questions and to listen to your spouse's response, take some time to pray together. I remember, Daniel, you and I have talked about these questions Um a few times in our marriage and didn't realize that there were some childhood wounds that have been carried into our adulthood. And so being able to share that, you know, that actually is stemming from something that my mom had said or that my dad didn't do. And then being able to openly talk about that, to be able to bring that before God, and to pray about that as well has been so healing for our marriage and even for our own individual lives.
0: Yeah, so we want to encourage you this week to ask one another open-ended questions. Once again, just go to inbetween.org slash episode 147 for links to Ruth and her books and uh, her, her organization, as well as these questions that we just walked through. All right, well, thanks again for listening in, and we'll catch you next time. This episode was brought to you in part.